welcome to Movement is My Constant. In this podcast, I invite movement researchers to share their embodied knowledge through open conversations as inspiration for organizations and leaders to design the future of work. Like the double diamond, which design councils process and the, the whole design thinking model, they both start with empathy. And I think for me, that's, you know, sort of that, that listening, that receptivity is a very embodied skill. I am joined by Matt Shearing, designer and visual artist. Matt has been influenced by movement and mindful practice throughout his life. Such practices have resourced him with a vocabulary that he uses in the understanding of human-centered design, which he's passionate about and dedicates his design work to. During the Embodiment Conference online, Matt presented his mashup of design and embodiment through an inspiring talk, touching on the relation between the body sensation and the design processes. This is not only has introduced this design uh, terminology into a new field, but it also really gave me the goosebumps because it helped me my own research around design thinking, embodiment and awareness. Matt has studied English literature and philosophy and is nowadays involved with design research and design projects directly linked to the embodiment field. Matt's own embodiment experience is enviable as it has been part of his growth ever since baby. When he was cradled by the sound of a shruti box, his mother played while teaching at the ashram. <laughs> um, welcome Matt to Movement is My Constant. Thank you, Anna, it's very sweet. Um, well, what was your mother doing uh, when she practiced at the ashram? What's the story behind you being cradled by that sound of the shruti box? Good one. I, I think it, it was sort of, a, sort of the early 70s. And it kind of, like a lot of my history goes back to my grandma, who was, she was, she wasn't, she was quite, my granny was quite young when she had my mum. And everyone thought they were sisters. And Granny had, after the war, she had this. There was this story where she got, she found a can of silver paint, and the war had been so drab that she went round and everything <laughs> just got kind of covered in silver. So there's that kind of that sparkly, um, uh, sort of sparkliness of, and that and that kind of characterised her. Um, it was her birthday a couple of, and I think she would have been a hundred this year possibly but it, she, she was kind of very much an influence and that my, my gran had this this amazing ability and I like for, there's part of me that so I don't know how much of it, it I now kind of like think is real and how much of it is a kind of slight sort of way of teaching but but she'd go into trance and they'd have these like the family would go off and have a med and the med was a meditation and they'd come back and she'd have these ways of sort of like softly softly like just imagine if you're trying to give up smoking just imagine you the cigarettes on a, 
you put it on a little banana leaf boat and you just let it sail out to sea and there was this this very kind of softly softly but I kind of grew up with this this grandma that would go into trance and speak through a, a 14th century Italian nun called Sister Maria and it was like this this kind of it's like there was this magical dimension um she was she was a healer as well so it's like she could take people's pain and when my older brother was born mum was saying I'm numb and my gran was kind of like lying having the birth pain so it's this kind of complex so so from all of this mum ended up in the early 70s um Sri Muktananda Baba Muktananda was like the the guru that had come over from India and and there was a kind of community in Clapham where I was sort of born and grew up and they had an ashram around the corner so it was like mum would go there and we had like mystic Christian monks and you know all these storytellers and it was quite interesting because I think I I kind of grew up with this amazing openness and then found the experience going to school and kind of closed me down so I was very introverted both through primary and secondary school where I was kind of in this dream space I think um I was, I, you know, I, I, and then went to sort of like public schools. So I, I sort of went to Dulwich College, it's very sort of famous, posh school. And, you know, the, the one thing I came out of it was, was this kind of upper school creative writing prize. And it was like, I, it was almost like they were just like, they saw me and the only thing they could sort of mold, you know, they, they were there. It was like, is he going to be an actory, a doctor, or, you know, a lawyer yeah. or accountant? Okay, we'll send this one off to be a poet. <laughs> so it had this, yeah. So I kind of came, went to university sort of left university spent sort of a summer hitchhiking around crop circles in Somerset and it was like really finding this kind of I mean I, I loved crop circles and I didn't care having just done postmodernism where the author isn't important and suddenly mm. dropped in this this mystery where everyone's going who's making them and I'm like it doesn't matter it doesn't yeah. matter what are the symbols what's the language and I think I think that was my first point where the symbolism and the poetic symbolism, and I, I love symbolism, whether it's, you know, sort of archetypes and all, you know, that, that sort of breadth of range. And yeah, yeah to, went from that to sort of finding a real kind of interest in how symbols communicate. And I think, I think from that, it kind of became this this sort of thing where like a lot of people ask me to design logos because it's that sort of very simple communication of a, a vast sort ofness mm. of what they are and um yeah so that's yeah. probably the thing i design the most is is kind of brand like, like the feel of a brand through the colors the font and the logo yeah um, yeah but yeah on a deeper knowing i guess in sort of yeah, yeah, because you, you were exposed to such beautiful experiences that really connected you to a, a sort of a higher meaning, uh, if you like. Uh, and, and, and really you were connected to things in a different way, not from only your brain, how it should look like, how it should be. But uh, yeah, connected to this maybe bigger uh, purpose and, uh, yeah, and symbolism. It's beautiful to see where we can get our inspiration for symbolism, actually. Hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, so you just said actually how actually embodiment and those practices ch shaped your choices, right? Because I was curious in need to know how, how did you came about it. About it. Uh, so these influences from your mother, your grandmother, 
have been key. And you also studied Buddhism. Yes, um, I, it, it was it was quite an interesting one. I, I got really into Taoism at sort of like at university, and I was trying to find more out about it. And a, a friend of mine that was at the study in in the philosophy department was like, I don't know about Taoism, but we've got Buddhist philosophy elective in the philosophy department. So I kind of was like, yeah. And I, I think I was a bit annoyed with the English department because they wouldn't let me study Joyce. You know, I'm like, why aren't you teaching, you know, the greatest writer of the 20th century? <laughs> I'm going to go off to the philosophy department. So I, I signed up for a Buddhist philosophy elective and sort of, and it it, it was like a Buddhism. Was, I was kind of, it, it was like a lot of things were kind of like breaking I think when when you first come to Buddhism, especially, so I, I'd kind of come from this slightly soulful um, uh, Hindu sort of inspired world of the soul, I think. And Buddhism, the, almost the first thing you get is there is no soul, and there's this anatta, it's like, and it's it's like you are a process, but there isn't this kind of part of you that. And I think that and postmodernism, it was it was all these kind of bits of, you know, I had this dream of being, you know, there's this poet and and like that was it was kind of like the poet doesn't matter, it's just the work. And it's like the soul doesn't matter, it's just the stream. And it everything was it kind of I, I think it was probably one of the first sort of like everything sort of like crashing down on itself. But it, it was it was quite interesting because it was through a philosophy department so my brain was being sort of like pulled you know epistemological and it was like the, the language was 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 quite complex learning the philosophy philosophical language plus learning these quite complex sort of karma being a sort of a seed that you plant that then become comes to fruition and it, it was like quite mind expanding and then I think um I kind of like I graduated and as I said I spent the summer kind of traveling sort of sitting crop circles in the mysteries and then after that kind of landed back in Clapham and so there was a Buddhist center around the corner and that I think was where it was like actually learning to sit and meditate, but also learning the devotional side. I think there was, you know, sort of like the Buddhist pujas and just kind of this sense of real, I, I think it's the, the, there's something in ritual that is, is very hard because it's, because it's devotional. It's like, you can't, you can't fake it, I guess. It's like, if you're not, if, if, it's like if you don't believe it, it it just is the kind of outer you just see the outer shell and it's nothing whereas if only by going into the process it becomes magical and but at the same stage it's like does it mean anything or is it just a way of kind of like a deep connection I, I guess there's there's kind of yeah quite on topic but yeah there was something so I, I found I think in a way I found a deeper kind of level of Buddhism through practice and but also kind of part of me just kind of you know when I went to India I think it was 98 or something I, I went on a four-month pilgrimage with uh, a group from Buddhafield around all the holy sites and I think there was part of me coming home in both the kind of Hindu ashram kid that like, I had used to have dreadlocks and top knot with pieces of crystal through you know like going for the kind of full hippie I'd love to and see then... that <laughs> 
somewhere somewhere there might be one um but yeah there's kind of like that sort of traveler sort of like ending up at the Asher, osho ashram in Pune, and just kind of like this this kind of full circle you know sort of adventure and just being free and i think that kind of exploration of and i think india is so full of ritual you know it's like trying to understand how traffic works there where oh you know a the law the bigger thing has right of way but then there's this magic of like how nothing ever hits anything is just trust and you know, yeah but yeah but that that is also i mean even in the netherlands when i started you know biking around i also had to trust that i was in the flow and just go with it <laughs> and i guess also the bigger has you know obviously it's um priority uh, but it's interesting that you really touched upon so many uh, aspects of also how uh, design works in terms of you learn by doing. So the ritual part and the, you were very, you know, into the literature and the, the, yeah, really in your mind and reading. But at some point you have to bring it into your body, right? You have to bring all those teachings into your body so that you can assimilate. Well, yeah, I, I just think it, it's so interesting that when you look at both like the double diamond, which design school, uh, design councils sort of process and the sort of mm. the, the whole design thinking model, they both start with empathy. And I think for me, that's, you know, sort of that, that listening, that receptivity is a very embodied skill. Um, and it's without it, there's, there's a kind of, you know, it's like, and I think in a way it's like design before that you know it's like there's a thing where you know you can kind of blinkeredly go into a process of this is what i'm creating and i think in some ways that you know that can be art it's like this is my vision and whereas i think design has to start by listening to the users you know to kind of what that research stage of what are we actually what's the, the the pain point that we're solving i think because that's right at the front is it's I'm not, and I see it as a very kind of watery flow space that they're kind of like that kind of bigger wider listening and it's it's expanding into the sort of like to that I think relates really well to embodiment that um I mean I think there's a quote um uh, Don Norman in his book Emotional Design about sort of how designers have you you know it's like when you're under pressure that kind of like you go into more vision and actually to design you need this breadth and that peripheral vision and a lot you know a lot of nature awareness kind of starts where you broaden your peripheral vision and you you see how wide you can see into the field and i think you know there's a connection there between that and then stephen porges and the, the kind of mm. pro social awareness mm. of you know kind of going from this kind of triggered fight or flight kind of like blinker kind of like you know seeing the red mist almost of kind of i'm going you know whether it's forwards or backwards is it the, yeah there's it's this kind of breadth and I, I think, yeah, I think it, Dylan Newcomb yeah. talks about that, the sagittal, the sort of forward back. And then I, I imagine that sort of sideways as you, you expand outwards is the, yeah. yeah. So, it, so it kind of like, it's like, I, I'm still kind of putting it all together, I guess. Yeah. But it's yeah. like, I keep seeing the, 
Yeah, I was just I sorry that I'm interrupting you, but I just wanted to break this down a little bit so that our listeners or viewers can understand a little bit about design thinking and also what we're talking about double diamonds. So actually, it's interesting, I do use the double diamond when I am creating this interview. So now we that we are in this ideation uh, sort of part where we are mashing up our embodiment practices and the design knowledge. Um, I would say that, so a double diamond is essentially right, it's this, this shape, and it just shows an iterative sort of process that comes from research until you draw up your solutions or your designs, etc. And um, when you are applying this sort of uh, more of a somatic and embodiment experience to it, that's what you mean, okay, about the air and also the, 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 the vision, what do you see and how do you narrow down to focus and doing and right? Um, and I actually wanted to refer to, uh, to a slide that you use on the opening of your presentation at the conference. You had this very interesting like uh, uh, sentence um, and then I will plant the question back to you again and we can continue. Uh, your your presentation really started off on um, how perspectives from the conscious dance and the embodiment uh, coaching do integrate with design with the design process and to develop a more human centric um, uh, design. And uh, but your your obviously your presentation was not exclusive to to designers, so that's something that I find also very interesting. Uh, this is not just for design in the classic uh, uh, sense, uh, because I believe everybody is a designer. So, uh, Matt, indeed, how might we designers uh, live truly and fully uh, the entirety you know, of our work um, from discovery to the research to the solutions? How can we, uh, yeah, that. <laughs> that big question. Yeah. Um it was interesting so i think some yeah i think sometimes the word design kind of it's it kind of like it, it comes up graphic design or kind of grids and i i don't i think it it's a, it's a much broader topic and i i think I, there's a i mean don norman i keep coming in he's kind of founder of user experience but he he comes up with these the sort of three levels of design and that you, you've got this kind of visceral, which is the sort of like the, the it's almost like the, the curves of a sort of E-type jag. It's it's something, it's quite, it, it's the bit that is actually sex sells kind of thing, the, the attractiveness. Mm. And quite often design is about the, the kind of pretty, like what does it look like? People want the colour, you know, it's like what... You, it's almost more like I used to design greetings cards. That's quite visceral design. You're, it's like what sent. Um, and then, then you've got behavioural design. Now, behavioural design is is very much the kind of the UX sort of uh, territory, which is you know it's making sure that somebody that's colourblind isn't going to confuse two buttons. You know, it's like it's it's understanding. And it, it's very kind of architectural in a way, but making it, it's, yeah, it's kind of, it, it's making sure that there's a real kind of structural element and that people understand it and that it's tested and it's kind of sort of the, and there's, there's a lot more about behavioral stuff, but the final one he talks, so it's visceral, um, it's reflective Behave, design. Reflective, yeah. 
and reflective design is 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 the story of the design and um you know it's like a, a friend of mine just bought a gong and this gong is called setna and it's this planet and it has the story and it's like that's kind of as much as the sound and and the kind of you know the how well made it's like the story is there it's like it's it gives so much richness to that mm. that you know and i think you know it's like i think we all we're storytelling creatures and i think understanding how story in design works i think you know it's like that's the best copywriters that's the best marketers that they know mm -hmm. the story and i think this is I think it, the, the bit that hasn't, I haven't quite touched it, like design can be dangerous. I mean, design it can be manipulative. It can oh, yeah. be a real, you know, it's, there's there's a real potential. Um, um, Near Iao wrote a book, Hooked, and it, it, it was meant to be trying to explain how things like Facebook are kind of like captured you know, capturing our attention. And it's ended up being like thick text for sort of sort of product designers to go, well, this is how we're going to gamify, you know, and, you know, it's like I've exactly. been learning French recently on Duolingo, like relearning French. But it's like, you just, it's like, it's so fun. But you, if you've got that kind of like how they're gaming you, like the whole process is like you want to carry on completing and, and all of that is, you know, it's it's nudges. Um, it's I think design, and I think it's the I think I've actually got it on next to me, but it's it's a book called Nudge, um, mm. which is all about there's there's how you make choices into kind of what modules, you know. So that so in in some ways it's like design is not this just the visual arts, but it's actually about understanding behavioral patterns, and I think that that kind of part where it psychology is always the sort of link isn't it between you know embodied psychology and design psychology and i think if once you start understanding that so you know i mean i think um i think one of the classic things in there they they did this experiment as sort of like i think it was in california they were um test they, they were sending out it was like different groups and they sent them letters saying your energy use is 20 percent more than most people's and people dropped it a little bit and then they said your energy use is 10 percent less than people's and people started using a lot more energy and then they sent one with i think the, the your energy use is a bit more and a smiley face or a sad <laughs> face and that was the one like the, the just that emoji that like a face something that was human it like had a massive effect on how people actually adjust and it was like it's something so simple but that nudge that kind of priming people to kind of go okay this is where i fit and kind of like you know and i think it's one of my favorite books i'm trying to remember the name but it's a, a book about understanding comics um wow company i'm such an amazing it's like that kind of semiotics of kind of understanding how facial expressions and like how, how basically the body is communicated in in the comic medium is it's mm. such it, it's it's such an amazing you know like yeah and it, it talks about how a really you know kind of really detailed people don't associate with a really detailed sketch if yeah. they see a 
you know, beautifully done painting, they see that as other. If they see mm. a circle with two dots and a line, they see that as self. And it's so it's sort of like in a way it's like we associate just with the kind of very the basic and I think it's why emojis are such a, a you know it's like we, we you know they're 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 silly they're fun but actually they're deeply psychologically kind of effective it's kind of it's a weird kind of almost don't want to know how powerful they are at communicating kind exactly. of exactly like exactly like, ah, it's just you know silly but, um, yeah yeah because they're also so but, simple right sometimes when I'm sending it sending an emoji I'm like is this the right one? Do they get what I mean? <laughs> I start getting really worried about what message am I trying to send out. So I'm like, okay, I'll just type something and you know, like forget about it. <laughs> but uh, but it's it's yeah, it's a very interesting um, um, example. But I'm also curious, like you're touching upon the like the visual aspect. But for instance, you were telling me that yeah, on a on a workshop it might be different, right? So how then we how do we really embody uh, design? Uh, you know, this 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 uh, focusing, this uh, this opening up, maybe within other types of design work. I'm not, I yeah. How does the design world become more embodied? Almost. I mean, mm. I think that's it's a tricky one. I I, I think. That, you know, it's like from my experience of sort of facilitators, most of the facilitators I work with have a, a quite, you know, it's like a quite a natural understanding of the body. And in some ways, there's a, there's almost like a, they, 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 they bring so much kind of charisma to it that it's like they can kind of get people to kind of, you know, and it, it's normally looking at self. Most, you know, most embodiment is looking at self and, understanding your patterns and once you've got this kind of self-awareness you you kind of relate and that sort of that's kind of I, even the dance class it's like the first half of the dance class is about understanding where you are on the dance floor and then it's reaching out connecting and finding kind of connection and then sort of landing in sort of that sort of sense of completion so I, I, I guess for designers where I think it's looking at, I mean, it, it, I think, it. you know, it's like, so it's going back to this kind of empathise, it's like when you empathise, it's like you send, you know, it, it's about, I mean, I think it's built into design, you know, the best empathy is when you send researchers to go and live in an area and actually, you know, it's like walking a mile in someone else's shoes kind of thing, understanding their problems really by living, you know, you, you're going to find out an awful lot more if you go to sort of developing country and you, you actually realise that the kind of limits to their technology because maybe they don't have any electricity between two and eight. You know, all of a sudden, these things that you think from an office in San Francisco that you can give them probably when you're actually there start being very real kind of like okay well how do we design for this so I think in that way that that kind of empathy is kind of you know being actually sort of like connect you know being seeing that the kind of the real what it's situational kind of what what are people in um I it's interesting like so I quite often in embodiment that the sort of like the four elements is, is used as a coaching tool so earth air fire water but i i use that I, I see the double diamond very much so that if you take water as that listening the second step of defining it's like it's really you know it's like i'm 
I don't know if you've noticed my energy, but I can be very air. I'm full of ideas. I kind of ping pong around. I don't necessarily stick to what I was going to talk about. So I actually <laughs> tend to need quite a lot of earth. I mm. need the formality of an air table that's full of kind of check boxes and what is the process. So to more and more I'm designing systems and I'm kind of looking and going, well, what's the product roadmap kind of thing? It's like mm. I need to know the sort of like the, the form and I think understanding that if you've got someone whose natural skill set is kind of ideation and pinging ideas and, sort of, you know, really expressive creativity, it's like, well, that's great in the ideation stage, but you need to kind of really make sure that when the, the, the kind of requirements are defined and it's like, well, what is the structure? And I think sometimes that bit, it's like, so I think we've all got a natural kind of, propensity to one or two element and then mm. as I've kind of mentioned the other three fire is for me the delivery of kind of actually getting this kind of live and which then becomes back into the testing and you know but right. it's like there's yeah it's kind of I I think there's, there's a kind of sense of understanding you know you can develop you know embodiment teaches you how to develop develop a skill and it, it's you know sort of Mark Walsh that I sort of work with a lot mainly sort of supporting him but in mm -hmm. kind of the process it's like I'm really aware of like he will kind of send people off to go and do the work you know to develop their range so yeah. it's not always you know if, if you're a really sort of fluid artist and you're brilliant at listening to people sometimes that will draw you to more and more and you, you end up just surrounding yourself in this kind of watery, beautiful, soft flowing, you know, kind of environment. And what you actually need is, is that fire, you know, go into a kendo class and, you know, pick up a sword and sort of like yeah. deliver. It's like, yeah. so it's finding how to develop your range as opposed, yeah. so as I say, it's like I, my natural set is air I, the yeah. ideas and you know this, this sort yeah. of slightly conversation all over the place and what I need yeah. is that here's the, you know yeah here's what we're talking yeah. about listed in front of you, I won't yeah. you know or yeah. in this case you actually kind of holding me to account and going Matt next question and, which is fine <laughs> you know it's like interrupt me you know there's, there's that sense no, of but like, it's, I, 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 I'm aware I need the earthiness right right and, right 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 yeah, but it's interesting because I think it's uh, a bit of, um, I mean, we cannot have it all. It's what you say. You have some sort some elements are, are stronger. I'm also very uh, water. Um, and But I do use earth in ways to like, okay, let's get this uh, understandable and, you know, uh, somewhat, uh, you know, cut it into smaller chunks, etc. Um but it should indeed aid you also to be your best. So it shouldn't like come come against you, right? If it's not your natural element, it shouldn't come against you. Uh, so I, I, I think it's nice to get surrounded by people who have all these uh, elements and then work together, right? So you don't have to be on your own. You don't have to be the one to have all the elements super uh, aligned or uh, in balance, so to speak. Building a team. Yeah, exactly. It's like, build, can you imagine if you would say, let's build a team based on the elements and and it would be really pretty cool, actually, if 
and just like with emojis, I think anyone can relate to the to the visuals of air or water or fire um, or earth. Uh, it really gives a, a nice uh, relatability to nature, what is natural in us. So you coined the, the term somatic design, and I'm super curious about it uh, because I was researching a lot around embodiment, design, but I'm curious about somatic design specifically. I feel in a way it's not, you know, I mean, I, I think human-centered design is such a brilliant sort of, it's actually showing design, you know, it's like from from where, you know, computers came in sort of like the 80s with a sort of green screen with, you know, it's like it's moved so far. And I think human-centered design for me, but it, it it's a field already, I think, somatics is it feels like i mean it's, it's interesting because like you know we, we've all spent a year on screens in our little boxes kind of thing without that much you know the sort of like pro-social like without the social being the felt sense of being with people and i think as i think we were just chatting before the interview um but was about how what it's going to feel like when we're back into spaces with people and i think I think understanding for me, like somatic design is these is taking sort of wisdom from both. Like it's like the, like it's looking at things like the, the double diamond and kind of realizing that that is a really useful tool for people that are interested in embodiment and you know and th and that there's it's a two way flow. And I think sort of. Go Porges and, and you know Porges and Norman are kind of like they're so aligned on sort of how how we kind of like we need how kind of I have to be open and you know the sort of like getting eye contact and like mm. the, the the importance of of actually connecting and like how the the humanness that makes us human that stops us you know it's like we're, we're moving more and more into this this world where you know you get a pop-up message and you don't actually know if you're talking to a robot or a human anymore and it's yeah i think there's there's something about on one level designers are trying to humanize the process but then what is it to be human and I, yeah i don't i don't, <laughs> I don't quite feel i'm answering what somatic design is yeah but i i think there is there's a real need for design be the connection it like design needs to be embodied look at the environment kind of thing it's possible to design products that are just simply you know for people's ego it's yeah. like and people have enough money that they buy them and they wait for them it's like how can we actually listen to to nature, you know, it's like like the most yeah. important design challenge is replacing plastic packaging. You know, mm -hmm. it's like it like it could be done with, if if the amount of money that was put into that was being you know the stuff that's been put into developing vaccines was put into how can we just create packaging out of mushrooms? You know, yeah, it's exactly. like that. That's such a big design. It's like and once it's resolved, everything just goes in the compost bin and we stop yeah. polluting this this yeah. beautiful planet. You know, it's like mm. that. You know, it's like for me that ecological awareness comes yeah. out of going to nature, listen, you know, being in the trees and then seeing a piece of, you know, rubbish that's going to be there for thousands of years, you know, that kind of dissonance. The more you listen, the more you're embodied, the more the design realises what the important things are to be designed. It's not just, yeah. you know, 
designing for status. It's not, you know, designing, it, it's actually designing so that we can have a sustainable planet. And I think, yeah, I think sustainability comes a higher on the sort of design list in a way yeah. when you listen to the body. And I think, yeah, yeah. I think that's probably. Uh, yeah, it's super interesting that you were just tapping into because that was going to be one of my questions indeed. And you already just answered being somatic is really like by broadening the experience, the sensory uh, uh, experiences, we are just moving away from certain aspects in our mind of what we think things should be like. And like you said, introducing nature into our experiences and our, our ideation uh, processes, etc., really helps to understand, hey, actually, there's more to this than just me, myself and I, right? We are drawing closer to the to the second part of our uh, uh, double diamond, so to speak. Uh, and I am curious, uh, what are you currently busy with? It's interesting. I think I, I, I'm sort of, I've got quite a few projects and they, they feel quite diverse. So on one hand, I'm, I'm sort of actually finishing up a um a book which actually is the, the the quotes is all the top tips that were at the end of each of the thousand sessions at the embodiment conference and i've i'm putting them together in a book which hopefully is before by the summer will be sort of uh sort of um, released um and yeah mark will be sort of doing his publishing uh kind of <laughs> marketing for that um so yeah so that's kind of it's quite interesting designing for paper and kind of it, it's mm. quite I, I quite enjoying it and yesterday i was having a chat with another friend uh, an old sort of friend whose partner passed away and he had written two books and there was a manuscript for a third and there's something really lovely i love i absolutely adore kind of paper and books. On the other hand, I, I've just I'm sort of working with this another old friend who's a, a sort of couple of uh, embodied facilitators, and they're creating a men's group. So it's like men's work, but this uh, yeah, a kind of community page uh, where it acts a bit like a Facebook or a LinkedIn, where people can post in different topics. But it, it's quite interesting that the arc of like of me trying to kind of go, okay, here's the options, and them going we need to consider why, why are we doing this? And it's this kind of real sort of that there's this kind of undertow of what it is versus the kind of like the let's get started and get the momentum going. So on that, I'm, 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 there's a, a really, I think it's probably the best thing for designers. There's a kind of movement called no code, which is where you take the, the developers kind of, they just set up prototype. Well, they, working with community and it used to be like IRL in real life whereas now it, it's more kind of how can how can you build a, a community online and especially pushing back against Facebook I think there's a kind of this you know Facebook is this kind of addictive kind of like draw that draws you in so it's like can we step aside and actually start creating that these, these community spaces that are a bit more gated and a bit more kind of but this is our space that sort of like we're not you know it's like you're not part of an algorithm kind of thing so so looking at creating that and and then yeah a kind of few kind of logos and visual architect sort of visual designs for a couple of clients so i think that's <laughs> all the sort of like the little jobs nice. i've got how will the listeners or the viewers find more about this somatic design? 
I mean, the easiest way is um, if they go to my website, I've got sort of like ways to contact me there. Um, I mean, I, I, I think as a designer, you have to be. <laughs> so I'm on you know, Twitter, Facebook. I'm kind of pretty much available <laughs> all WhatsApp, every Telegram. You know, it's like any way any client needs to contact me, I'm there. But mm. um, I, on, I have got a somatic design. I'm, I'm sort of... I, I'm sort of trying to, it, it's funny, it's like I help a couple of clients with their blogs and making sure that they get them out regularly and it's something that is sort of in, I'm I'm getting there sort of with mine but um, I will be blogging more and there's a way I can, I, you'll, you'll be sending this out so I can sort of send you a link to the a mail mailing list for somatic design if it helps. Perfect, perfect. Um, yeah. <laughs> Great, thank you. Um, I do have one last question. Why is movement your constant? When I dance, it's it's that kind of external create moving into space is is connecting. It's the connection. And then I'm aware also of this this internal like the, the process of breathing and just you know, it's sort of noticing that kind of like even when you're you're turning inwards the movement is a kind of breath in it's like it, our breath is a heartbeat it's like we're full of movement even in stillness and mm. matt thank you so much uh it, this was really um a really delightful conversation um and uh yeah for the viewers and listeners we had a few glitches but uh, i think you get the idea of uh, who is always not sharing thank you so much for being here thank you so much for having me on your podcast and yeah it's, it was a real delightful conversation and I yeah I feel a lot of exciting ideas come out of this kind of bl this blend of design and sort of embodiment so.